our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Hello and welcome to Girls That Invest. Today we have the world's funniest women who have been taking the podcast world by storm with their witty banter and insightful discussions of celebrity memoirs. We have a group of women that have been featured in Dua Lipa's newsletter. They've been topping comedy charts and touring around the world. I'm very thrilled to introduce Claire Parker and Ashley Hamilton, the dynamic duo behind the widely adored Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh my God. Thank you so much for saying that. Well, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. I'm going to frame that intro. I feel like you need to hear this more. It's, do you not get introduced like this when you go on stage? No, they they usually go, what's your podcast called again? Celebrity <laughs> Book Club Memoir. Yeah, people struggle with the title, which is funny to us because it's our most comprehensible title. Our old podcasts were, hold on one second, we're talking about Britney Spears and then we're in a fight with Claire and Ashley. So we like really love to have things that are difficult to follow along. It's I guess it's no surprise that this is our most successful podcast. It's literally the only one that makes any sense from a title. It <laughs> is honestly the like I remember I don't know how oh TikTok. TikTok is how I came across it, which is probably how most people find it these I days. Think so yeah. Yeah like, you guys are huge on TikTok, huge on Instagram. The podcast has had millions of downloads. You recently had a very famous guest join you. We actually this week are we interviewed Sir Patrick Stewart. I don't know if you know who that is. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. So really? They've been coming out. To, we're on the PR list now. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we the tr- lists are list are listing us. <laughs> and how long have you been doing the podcast for now? We three actually, years? yeah, our three-year anniversary was in September. Oh, so you started in September 2020. Yeah. We started in August 2020. Oh. oh my God, we're like twins. We're like twins. I reached out to Claire and Ashley last year, like a stalker, and I was like, hey, you don't know me. I am from New Zealand. Let's have coffee. And you guys were very kind enough to say yes. Oh my God, we were stoked We were so you. excited. It's also helpful to like meet somebody who's like money specific in the podcast industry because everything is so opaque and it feels so random. And it sometimes feels like people are just pulling m- n- numbers out of a hat. So like every time I get to meet another podcaster, I'm like, are they paying you? They're not paying us. (laughs) It goes to show like, if no one talks about it, like how do you come up with the numbers? Like you have a meeting, whether it's with like a brand or a partnership and they're like, how much do you charge? I don't think anyone knows how much should you charge. I don't think anyone knows. And then someone will come up with numbers that they deem to be the industry standard. And I think one of the things that we've come up against the hardest is the fact that like people will insist that there is like a certain thing that is industry standard in an industry that is like seven years old. So when something like doesn't fully make sense to us, we'll like push back on it and I'll be like, well, that's just the way it's done. And I'm like the way it's done since when? Like I've had shoes longer than podcasts have existed. Like I don't understand how things could be so set in stone. I also think the podcast is victim of like the tech bro mentality of because it's like, I like almost everything nowadays, it mm-hmm. requires a technology. I would yeah. even say it's not going to space technology, but because it's recorded and put online, I feel like the tech bros come in and they do that thing where they overvalue. So as podcasters who have like a sizable and like grassroots fan base or like listenership, it's frustrating because they'll throw, they'll be like, if this person's famous, we'll throw a billion dollars at them and mm-hmm. we'll make 5 billion back. And now right now we're working in the waters of people who have been like, oof, Turns out that you can't just give everybody famous a million gazillion dollars and expect them to return. And other people who are actually like making the products that sell. Like Meghan Markle's deal. Yes. 
Or like Emrata, I know her just got canceled. And I'm, I don't know what they gave her, but I'm I sure mean, it was a lot. There are so many companies right now that are like so out of cash because they gave such massive deals to like some big podcast. And what have you heard? What's the numbers that have, that have been thrown around? I mean, well, I guess like famously, you think about $100 million on Joe Rogan, the $60 million on Alex Cooper. And you just go, have they recouped that yet? Like, mm-hmm. have they, especially for somebody like we love them, Spotify, but you have to wonder like, what have they made off that? How many people have gone Spotify exclusive because of those two podcasts? I will say in their defense, because I also think about that all the time. And as we're saying it out loud, the answer is me. (laughs) I was (laughs) using a different music platform and I went, I switched to Spotify. Because because, of Joe Rogan? Not because of Joe Rogan, but I think there was like two other podcasts that I liked that were Spotify exclusives, not the big money ones, but because they made such a run at like, getting all the podcasts. I used to be such a big podcast listener that I was like, I guess I have to go on Spotify now. And there was a couple albums that came out on Spotify exclusively. Like they did a pretty, and I don't know that it was worth, like, I don't know that they even doubt, but I will say them like throwing every dollar in existence at the wall, trying to get people to switch over to Spotify did work on one third of this room. I will say. They influenced you. They, by the time they got to us, though, as a podcast, I think, what was it? They'd run out of money. A year and a half ago, (laughs) they came to like buy us out and it was like. Not, not what we. It was not a good amount. Sell for. Well, that's good on you to be able to like stand up and say, okay, this isn't what I want. This is not where I want to be. When we started, we got asked to be bought out. And I remember just saying, I don't even want to know the number. Like there's more than we can do then yeah, just selling can out. Can I say, I wanted to know the number. I think just having any sort of industry validation felt so good to me back then. And I could not have guessed that the number would be as low as they had sent us. I think they, I think they sent us 200K for two years to split. And everything would go through them, all the merch, all the touring. But I feel like I don't know where the Patreon was to go, but it really yeah. felt like... And also you're having our potential for growth. Yeah. Oh my goodness. See, I didn't ask for the number because I was scared that they were going to say something so low that I'd get offended. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're so much smarter than I was. I was like, what if they say $50,000? Well, you know what's funny is I like... I guess I was hoping that we'd be worth... Because they were throwing so much money at so many people that I was like, I don't know, man. What if they come and just say $3 million and we're done True. and we can hang our hat up? And then we were... We're working with the manager at the time. And I remember him being like, oh, you should not have asked for that number. I don't know how good or bad this guy's advice was, but this rang true. He goes, now they have that on record. And now forever, like if you come back in a year, their anchor is they go, well, last year we thought you were worth it. He's like, just like never get a number in writing. Always have them like verbalize it to someone on your team first so that it's never like you never want the starting point. To be, to be recorded. Oh my God, we're getting like money gems and from... Listen, I'm, we haven't been bought out since. I don't know how well we're doing overall, but... You're doing pretty well. That advice like did sound valid that should we go back to Spotify next year? I don't want them to be like, and the negotiation started at 200K for two years <laughs> and yeah. all rights and like, you know what I mean? And I'm, I wanted to be clear, we love Spotify. We, I just, do. we just don't want to... We overall, I think it would be pretty hard for anyone to make us go exclusive just because of the way that that like limits potential opportunity in the future. And we do believe in ourselves. As you should do. You've done so well. I want to go back to when you began and, you know, you, like you said, you had tried a different couple of podcasts and you're also very great comedians. I will say it again and again, we need more representation in the space. What was it like with your financial situation as a company how did you did you like self-fund everything yes yes so when we started out and for the all the podcasts we had previously we we did not make a dime off of podcasting until I don't know, celebrity to, memoir book club to this day i don't know that we're out of the red to be honest. we are definitely out of the red <laughs> but we were just like so claire and i both had regular day jobs what did you do I was a copywriter slash social media editor for like direct to consumer brands. I was, so I graduated college and I knew I wanted to do stand up. Mm-hmm. And I was very much in the like starving artist, like, okay, you go become a waitress and you do stand up at night. And so I graduated college in 2014 and I became a waitress. But in order to make money to live in New York City, I had to work at night. And it turns out that's when stand up is. So very quickly, I was like, well, this is not gonna work out because mm-hmm. I'm working when all the stand-up is. And so then the next year I became a preschool teacher for two years. I was working on the Upper East Side. I made $23,500 the first year. And then the second year I went from half day to full day. And somehow that only bumped me up to, I think I had to negotiate up to $29,000, <laughs> which is like crazy. How did you live off that it, without being rude? Like how no, did you survive? I'm like happy to talk because I am always like people are like living in New York. I 
took the biggest hit with rent in terms of I was living. I got very lucky and then I moved in with a friend who had found a one and a half bedroom apartment in Williamsburg that she converted into a three bedroom apartment. So the living room was a bedroom. The big room was a bedroom. And then the half bedroom was a bedroom. And when I first was making 23K, I was paying like eight fifty a month to live in a bedroom with no windows. Which and is I- illegal. Yes. Yes. But I felt grateful. I was like <laughs> happy about it because I didn't know how I could get anything cheaper in a better location. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and I was like, whatever, I'm here to sleep. And then I'm bopping around. And then at one point I took over the lease. And so I lived in the little room and I would sublet the apart, like rooms in the apartment for a leaf furnish for like three to four month leases. And so it was one of those things where it was kind of like, underwriting you know what I mean you're like, kind I of a hustler I, yeah I was kind of like landlord airbnb <laughs> it almost from within but because of that my rent wasn't so expensive I think at most I was paid like a thousand dollars at one point but I like I kept my rent low and then I'm lucky in that I didn't have student debt so I was just like you know eating a lot of dollar slices and then every two weeks I'd kind of run out of money and have to like hunker down and I'd be like well in three days I'll get more money <laughs> I was also babysitting a lot to supplement my own income, which then also made that like an untenable job because I was like to afford to have this cheap job. I'm like working basically a second job. So then I became an admin at a first a marketing agency and then a finance company. And that really was like what unlocked my ability to do stand up full time because I made good money. I had insurance and I had a regular schedule, which was very helpful for me and like vacation days. And I always recommend I'm like, I think when you go into the creative industry and you're like, how do I support myself? It's easy to think, oh, go freelance or do something like just be a waitress. And I found that there's a lot more freedom in having a steady livable paycheck and a knowable schedule and not because the amount of time that you have to spend worried about figuring out how you're going to get your next freelance gig actually eats into all that free time that you think it's buying you not having a nine to five. Ah, so you're almost like saying it is better to have something so stable so that you can put your time and energy to other things. Yeah, I really think there's like a... With New York being so expensive, there's like, I don't know, the hourly gig, it actually ended up being harder. Even waitressing, like not ever knowing what my schedule would be the next week. Like it's easier just to be able to like, if there's something that comes up, like a sketch I want to be in, I'll just take a vacation day and then be able to afford, like I could go down and do like comedy. I was able to go to like Virginia and DC because I could afford to go to like comedy festivals because I had the $200 to pay for the bus ticket or whatever and like the hotel room. That I didn't have before. How about yourself? Was it a similar experience? So I was, well, I moved to LA after college and I still do actually have student debt that I've been paying off. And so that has like been like a huge arm of my like anxiety about income for most of my adult life. Very American. I don't know how much of your listenership is like not American, but like that's 40% are Americans. Big sitch here. And so. I moved to LA. I was working in, I had a bunch of different jobs in LA. I worked in PR for a little bit. Then I worked at an advertising agency. And then I spent three years working in post-production. And these were all pretty like low wage, but like steady jobs. And then I moved to New York. I worked in social media. My first job in New York, I made $45,000 a year. And then I started making sixty thousand dollars a Dude, year. I, and I thought that you, I was... We, we thought she was the richest person we ever I was like, met. that's pretty yeah. good. Because how long was that? $60,000. What year so would that mean? That would have been... So I moved to New York in 2017. I got fired in 2018. So that job would have been like October 2018. So, so I was like... 27. 27. That's pretty good. It's pretty, I don't, it, uh, is it, is it in, not? Well, I feel like in New York, it was good for us. I will say it was good, but it wasn't like impressive. Like the fact that we thought that I was so rich, I was like, okay, I'm definitely not doing bad, but I'm nothing about this is awe inspiring. (laughs) Did you have like a change in your lifestyle? Was it enough of a salary bump to be like, I don't have to look at the price when I go out to dinner? I think I started saving money. Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting that you've both mentioned like the ability to have more money or like the ability to get more stable jobs seems like more of the kickstarter to the success that you ended up having later down the track. Because imagine if you both stayed in the earlier ones. Yeah. Well, something's so so funny. One of our first big fights, if anybody has followed us, they know that we're famous for fighting as friends. And it's because we pooled all of our resources to make this web series that was horrible. And we went, you know, when like people who had a relate, like married couples will be like, oh, 1994, that was a tough year. He got that new job and she was in postpartum. Like, so we combined spent $5,000 on this web series and $5,000. Each of us. And we thought it was going to be like the thing that got us a TV show. 
It was the worst thing that's we ever been done. We thought it was like too. an incredible investment. And instead it was like a horrible, horrible thing. And so the fact that we had both just like spent a percentage, like a good chunk of savings mm-hmm. on this like awful project, it's tortured us for a long time. It was hard to get over it. Yeah. How but did you get over it? We have money now. <laughs> yeah, I do think I look like, at my it's bank so account. funny when people are like, we're worried you're going to be like, call her daddy because like now that you guys are getting successful, what if you break up? And I'm like, we would never fight over more money because like we survived l- no money. Like yeah. it was, I can say having been on both sides, it's actually much harder to have a business with your friend when you're both broke and pissed and like worried that you're, like when your, your ability on a failure. To pay rent is impacted by your business. Dis- Wait, so I'll finish yeah, answering finish your it. question in a second because I forgot there was a part that I was getting back to. So then uh, in 2020, I actually switched jobs and I was making $79,000. That's when I was like, I'm the richest girl in the world. <laughs> Clearly. And we'd, at that point, I've been doing the podcast for about six months. We were still making $0 on it. And I had that job for one year before I went freelance. And then I actually was freelance, but I had podcast income and like I usually had like three to six clients at a time. And normally I feel like it is stressful lining up new clients and all this stuff. But I was doing it as a way to like eventually be able to go full-time into the podcast because I'm much more risk averse than Claire, I think. Mm-hmm. Also, I didn't areas. have like an easy, like I didn't have to con- be worried about whatever. And I also like had a partner, like I have a partner who does make like a good amount of money. So I feel like I had, like, I, I think you're more risk averse, but like smartly because I've yeah. been able to be like, ah, something like my parents live very close by. So I did always have this thing where it's like, well, worst comes to worst. I can move home with my parents and still like be living a similar, like commute back into the city every day sure, yeah. if need be. And I do think, yeah, and I think that is something when you work with a friend, like no two situations are exactly the same. Totally. And you have to be understanding of like both perspectives. So like I started working freelance full time as a way to like, as the podcast made more money, I could like slowly start like releasing freelance clients. Mm-hmm. Finally, I don't have to deal with you yeah. anymore. Did you let go of the most annoying one first? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So anyway, so in terms of how our podcast has started making money, I think we started a Patreon. We started the podcast September 2020. We started a Patreon probably October or November 2020. Really? So early on? We started it almost right away because our old podcasts had been very like loosey-goosey pop culture conversations, daily life. And people did like that. And like some people, not a lot of people, some people liked that. And our, our new podcast, like Celebrity Memoir Book Club was very like stick to the book, mm-hmm. talk about this celebrity and what's going on in this book. So we were like, okay, we'll start rambling separately and have that be whatever. So then we started, we said that like once we make a thousand dollars a month that we'll start putting back into like, that'll go back into the business. Once we make over a thousand dollars a month, we'll start splitting that 50, 50. Mm-hmm. So I think like July, 2021 was the first month that like we earned money from the podcast. So you did it for that long without taking any money. Yeah. How did that feel to have such delayed gratification? Because I oh think Oh my God. I mean, if we thought we were rich at when Ashley made 60K that one time, <laughs> yeah. September, we like hoarded August and September together. And I think we each paid each other. I think we the paid- payout was like $3,500 to split. <gasps> and I had quit my no, job. No, no, Can I tell you? I actually know exactly. What we hoarded that? July and August together. And we each, I think, got like $760. Yes. And I was like, I was on a high. Was that when we got our tattoos? <laughs> October is when we got our tattoos. We got, okay. So in October, we got tattoos. And I remember thinking, nobody has ever been more successful. I was like, this is it. And it's so funny. People will go, are you shocked at your success? It feels like an overnight success. And I'm like, we thought we were successful when we made $700 over two months. <laughs> and we got tattoos to and commemorate it. We were, I was, and I knew, have, yeah, yeah, they're on our feet. It's so stupid. Because <laughs> I was just like, how do I express? Like, and that's why I was just like, I'm flying through the air. Nothing will ever. Like, I'm like, it's stupid good. <laughs> And so we we were so happy and we were so impressed with ourselves about like because also there was like the thousand dollars that was going back into the business. So like not only were we taking home money, but we were no longer we had a business savings account. So we were no longer losing money to the business. I also think it was because before that, yeah. before we started the Patreon and like we're letting the business pay for itself, like we would just split everything 50-50. So when we would buy new recording equipment, when we would buy new anything. And books add up. Books we were add trying up. to share a book a week and then we were like, well, this is not tenable. Yeah. Because for those that don't know, like you read the books and then you will give your opinions on them. You had to share a book to do that. 
we started trying to, and then we were like, no, we can't do that. So we were just buying used books only. And, and whenever we had to buy, yeah. we still use used books just because I don't like supporting, yeah. you know, waste. But overall, I think that like... If a book comes out last week, you can't get a used new book. Well, you're not going to... Yeah. yeah, no one's going to read it that fast. Yeah. Right. So and then put it online. So when books... When we're covering books that are like freshly out, we buy new books. But when we're buying a book that's been out for longer than like six months, we try to buy it used. So we were pretty much only doing used books at that time because on thriftbooks.com, plug, <laughs> most used books are like three to six dollars. And so we were like not spending a ton of money on books. And then if you spend over like, I think $15 is free shipping. So we would just like do a book haul. We would just like buy a bunch of books at once. So we got free shipping, like $3 a book. And we were like, wow, we're not paying for that out of our own like personal bank accounts anymore. So we're very rich. I remember when we could upgrade our equipment and that was so exciting. That was yeah. like a, from our like savings account, our business savings account. How did your friends and family sort of, were they really supportive when you were getting started? Were they like, look, you've done this for a little while. Like it's time to get a quote unquote, you know, different job or a different industry. Like, did you I think because we always had regular jobs alongside of it, like we really didn't quit. Claire quit her day job. I actually have a crazy money story. If I, and I think about it when I quit my, so yeah. when I switched to being the admin, I went to this finance firm where I was making like, I think 63.5. Okay. But then I would get a bonus at Christmas and I was coming from making so little money that when they said bonus, I thought they were going to give me like a Starbucks gift card. <laughs> and then it ended up being like $10,000 as a bonus. So oh that was goodness. like life changing. And then they would do a summer profit share. And the first summer I was there, that was 10K. But then the next summer it was like 18K. So my thinking when I was there is I was living off of I wasn't doing a great job saving off of my salary because it was just like so exciting for the first time to be able to like go out to dinner and not have to like worry about it. But I would take all my bonus, all the profit share, put it straight into savings and be like, when I turn 30, whatever money I've saved up at that point, I will live off of for one straight year. And if I have not made it in comedy by the end of that year where I've done nothing but try, like I was like, okay, I have to give up. I have to find a second thing. And at this point, I guess I was 27, 28. So I was like, I have a couple years where I'll be working at it. And then at 30, I'm going to give myself just like one full paid year of like comedy grad school basically to just see how far I can get. And I ended up quitting before that, but that had always been the plan. And so COVID hit and my office went back to work June, 2020. Mm -hmm. And if you can recall, that was like, not when people were going back to work. That was like when things were getting worse than ever. <laughs> that was when essential services were allowed to like. Yeah. And I was yeah. a receptionist. No, we did not need a receptionist at an office where nobody was allowed to do meetings. Like, what could I have done? Like, literally nobody was at the door. Nobody was allowed to come. Anyway, but so I was like deeply depressed. I was like in a bad shape. And I think I tried to like hack it out as long as I could. But the following June, I was like running my head against the wall. I was like, I cannot be. I felt like this real sense of every single day. I was like waking up exciting for the day to be over so I could be like closer to death. I really was <laughs> like, like, and I, and I came to me that I was like, okay, I have to quit this job. I actually read the Matthew McConaughey memoir and it was so corny, but he had this chapter called like turn the page. He's like, if you're unhappy where you're at in life, you got to turn the page and like make a change. And I was like, I cannot do this anymore. Like I am sad at how miserable, like, cause I've never cared about having a day job, but it had become like, I didn't want to be like, so like I was like wasting years of my life, just like waiting for it to be over. Yeah, but that summer we had profit share and the rumor was it was pretty good. It was going to be like 29K. And in that's insane. Yeah. But then what after was tax this finance company? Private equity, baby. It's evil, but it funds the arts. <laughs> My art. <laughs> this pod. And I think it was May. And I was like at the, I was like, I don't know if I can do it. And I was like trying to wait till we would have gotten the money like the last day of July. And I was like, if I can make it out two months after taxes, it would have come to like 14K or something. And literally I was like, I can't do it. I remember telling my grandma that and watching her face be like, wait, what? Like, no, what do you, what do you mean? You're like giving up. But I really was like, I like made this choice that I, I was so miserable that I said, like, I think I have to like for the universe, give up the money to like take a courageous leap into my, like I chose, I was like, the smart thing would be to take the money and just like wait a couple more weeks. But I was like, I think I have to like say to myself, like, no, in the long, I believe in myself in the grand scheme of things that 14 K will not have been worth like months of misery. And then that, we were making no money off the pot at that time. And then that September is when we each made $720. And I was like, this is better. I was just like, it was all worth it. <laughs> like, it's going to happen for us. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And then I think by... March. March of the following year. March of the following year is when I 
like left my last freelance gig, I think. No, no, no. You were definitely freelancing through the next summer. Oh, yeah. March is when we fully salaried ourselves. March is when we fully salaried ourselves. June is when you had that meeting with your old boss where she's like, well, you still need the money. And I remember being like, no, we don't. We're salaried, baby. (laughs) So what was that experience like for you, like becoming salaried within this business? I mean, it was incredible. I was like, it was first of all, it, it was more money than I'd ever made it any other job. Yeah. And then, or it was like about, I think what I was making at my last salaried job. It was more. It was more. But also my parents were like still very, like when you were asking like the support of people, they were still very like, okay, but if you like, kind of the whole thing of like, if you take yourself out of the industry and this fails, like how will you go back? And I had to like really come in swinging with the argument of like, I'm not taking myself out of the industry. I'm like becoming the CEO of my own company within the same industry. Like I was working in copywriting, marketing, social media. I was like, I mean, to have created a business that is this successful, I'm not like not having a job right now and like giving myself a title bump. (laughs) I love that. It is interesting because we, when you are a creative and you make money from it, it sometimes you get the whole like, is this a real job from other people? Like, I'm sure there's people to this day that are probably like, wait, you make money from this? I went to a Christmas party and I had this guy being like, oh, like, and they were all trying to be like, oh, I like, I heard your podcast is really successful. My actually, my husband still works at that company. I met my husband in my last company. So I still go to the Christmas parties and stuff. And one of the guys was like, oh, successful podcast. He goes, you know, I think there's like a lot of money to be made there. You should really try uh, selling some ads. Or, like you could try making some money off of this thing. And I go, really? Sir. I could, I could turn my business into a profit. Oh my God. Thank you for telling me. I'd never considered. I've had that for sure from a lot of people being like, you know, you should really talk to like so-and-so about like how to get maybe ads on your podcast. And like I, one of my friend's husbands and I had to be like, oh yeah, I think usually when I like do like look for business advice for my podcast. I like want it to be from someone who's listened to one episode. <gasps> you said that. Did you feel like your money or your view on money changed as this progressed? Cause not only did you go, what you experienced wasn't just like a job that had a big pay bump. It was also like from employee to em- almost employer. Like how did that I change? Will say I am like right now in the come down of like snapping back to reality because One, it was a pay bump. Two, it was during, like in my mind, that year that I was prepared to live off of my savings. So I think when I quit my job, I had 30K in savings that I was like, I was like, this is what I get for the next year. And I really like dialed it back. And I was like, I remember I had one of my really good friends at a bachelorette that I had like planned. And I was like, I can't go because to go on this bachelorette would be like rent. They're expensive, right? Bachelorette. I think your flight was like 600 bucks. Yeah, it was gonna be $1,500. I calculated all in like, and that's excluding if I get drunk and buy everybody around a shots. <laughs> and I was like, that's like half of a month. I, and I couldn't, I was like, I can't spend that and stuff. And so I was really prepared to dial back. And so the fact like that $700 to me was like money that I never thought I would make at all. And then by the time we had salaried ourselves in March, it's like more money than I've ever made before. It's money that I'm making during a year where I'd expected to make zero. And then it was money that I was making during a year that I expected to make zero where I hadn't even had to have dipped into my savings as bad as I thought I would. Mm. So I really was of this mindset of like, okay, well, this is free money. Like that $30,000 was going to get spent no matter what. So (laughs) I was kind of like live for the moment and like within reason. And the other thing I will say is that as like more public facing figures, we were really able to justify to ourselves like spending money on clothes and shit because we were like, well, we're trying to like look more presentable for like social media and like live when we're touring, we're trying to not look like shit all the time. And like, like and I had never bought clothes before. I had never been a window shopper. I never like, <laughs> wait, what do you mean? <laughs> like, well, she, she owns clothes. She buys I clothes, clothes, but I, she was not like into like putting together outfits. No, I but I also like, like never bought myself clothes. Like it just like wasn't something that I, like, like when people are like, oh, let's just go shop. Like I had sometimes a bathing suit ripped and it needed to be replaced or I had to go to a wedding and I like I needed a dress. But like to this day, I wear my college graduation dresses as my like wedding guest dress. Like I have clothes that I wear that I've owned since middle school. Like I I would get clothes from my mom on Christmas kind of thing. And then every once in a while, I'd need a new pair of jeans. But for the most part, I said like I get to do comedy and the trade off is I don't really get to go and buy clothes. Like I just like accepted that I lived in a room with no windows and I didn't get to buy clothes and stuff. I did eat out a lot because I was always out and about doing stand up at night, but it was like junk food. And then I think when we kind of bumped ourselves up, I started being like, well, we could go to a treat restaurant. And then like everything, be- we'd be like, we deserve a treat. And then a treat was like, 
well, it's Wednesday and we did all our work. That's why we deserve a treat. And so, but I feel like I went into that mentality of like all this money that I had never really had before. And I like allowed for the lifestyle inflation. Yeah. I remember I bought this Min and Mon purse, which was like $300. It was the first time I think I'd ever like seen something in a window, liked it and just like bought it for fun. And that's very different to what you just described. Yeah. I mean, literally you could say Ashley bought me a backpack one year for my birthday gift. She got me a Jansport backpack that I still use. They last. And it's because the one, my Jansport backpack that I had been using as my catch all purse. I had two purses. I had a black purse that I had senior year of college that I, is right there. I still use it. It's from Everlane 2014. And then I had a navy blue Jan Sport that I got in seventh grade. And I think this year would have been... So I got it when I was 13. And I think when I was 26, it broke. And so Ashley bought me a new one. And like that was just the purse I used. <laughs> it was like that birthday Jan Sport. Ashley yeah. was like, please take this. <laughs> I know. And I, I've been a bit more of a shopper. I feel like I've had like you know, ups and downs. Like I used to work at a fashion company. And so there was like a little bit more pressure, I feel like to look put together and to like pay attention to like what people are wearing. And so then I'll like go in and out of like feeling pressured to like try to dress cool. Mm -hmm. And I've never been successful at it, but I have spent money on it before. You dress cool, Ashley. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, and I was gonna say, then this year I got married. So like that year tailed into 2023 where then I was getting married and I was really like, well... It's the wedding, whatever, go for broke. And now I'm back and I am like, I, I still have my wedding nails on because I'm like, nope, Claire, it's an expense to go get them taken off. So I'm just letting them Can grow I say, out. I actually don't think it is. I think you could walk in there and ask them to take them off and they would. For, for free? free? I, I think, think they removal? charge like $10. Listen, you know what's free? Just letting the, the collagen <laughs> accumulate at the bottoms of my nails and pushing out the acrylic tips. It's a beautiful look. You know what? They're so like natural. They're so natural that you kind of can't tell. tell. So there we go. Like that, that's where I'm at financially right now. I'm like, we're just like <laughs> letting things grow out. Well, if it makes you feel better, I'm not going to show you because they're quite bad, but my nails are very chipped and I just can't go... I haven't gone and bought nail clippers because I'm traveling. I'm overseas. Yeah. They're oh, like $8. It really is like you'd buy them to throw them out. Yeah. I'd love to ask, you touched on lifestyle inflation, lifestyle creep, which is the idea, you know, you get more money, suddenly you buy more expensive things. How did you manage to not let that get out of control? Because that, for most people, they make six figures, they spend six figures. I don't think either of us, like, is that bendy overall. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. neither of us has ever been, or I, I guess I won't speak for you, but I, I don't think either of us is ever like that label obsessed. Like I think when I start buying stuff, like I try not to buy like fast fashion and stuff like that, just cause I'm like, well, if I'm earning enough money, then I like shouldn't be contributing to like garment waste and all that Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like I should just like try to support like more sustainable stuff and so like that's what I spend money on but like the label of it all I don't really care about they're not dressed out in Gucci today like you know (laughs) like I bought these on like Poshmark I bought like so even when I am like buying stuff I don't think for either of us that at the end of the day ends up being that expensive. And what's something that you've like spent money on that you're like, you know what, this is actually worth putting a little bit more money down. I will say I just went on a bachelorette this last weekend. That was my big, like all of October. I was like, I'm not, I'm trying not to eat out, blah, blah, blah. I'm like keeping myself on a budget because I knew I had a bachelorette and it it was important for me to go because I love my friend and I want to celebrate her. And I will say like, like not paying for red eye flights anymore, just saying for one hundred more dollars, I get to leave when the sun's up, and then we stay in kind of like a nicer hotel. Like I, it was just an interesting experience because we went to Miami, and the last time I had been there, it was very much in the mindset of like, okay, if six of us share one room with two beds, and we take the red eye there and the red eye back, and just store our luggage and go straight to the office from this, you know what I mean? Like we can maximize this vacation for under four hundred dollars or something. And I will say even for business, we used to do the the 6am flight that requires you to wake up at 3.30 to get to the airport on time and you save $72. But then your day is all fucked up and just saying, no, when we're traveling for business, we have to go perform. So it's important that we don't feel exhausted. We stay at, we're trying to get them to sponsor us, but we try to stay at a Kimpton because it's always... They're always nice. Between three and four hundred dollars, we share a room. That's not an expense we mind. We like sharing a room. But then it's like for an extra hundred dollars... We know that the sheets will be clean. We know that there will be coffee in the morning. Like just saying like, you know what, we'll spend the extra hundred dollars to like have a guaranteed quality while traveling has become very important to us because traveling so fun until you start doing it for work and you're like, oh, yeah, this is exhausting. That's very true. And it's like, you know, the extra little bit of money 
you could save the extra $100, but you'll probably make it back because you will perform so much better. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone, and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. That's how yeah. I feel. Or even just I'm a I'm somebody who like if I miss one night of sleep, it takes me about six weeks to recover. <laughs> and I do feel like like maybe I won't make it back that night because of the performance, but I will on the fact that if we take the red eye, I'll get a cold. I'll have to spend so much money on like Robitussin and being crank and like taking an Uber because I feel sorry for myself. So I can't bike where I need to go. And like the soup I order because I'm just like, it's so pathetic and I'm coughing and that's where the money comes back. <laughs> what has been like, and it's, if it's too private, that's totally fine. What has been the craziest month you've ever had in the business? Like without having to share numbers, was it this year? Was it last year? Yeah, I wonder if it'll be this December, to be honest. Yeah. I think it's about touring. It it was honestly probably like March or so of this year when Mm -hmm. we just had a like March or April. We had, I think we did two or three weekends of shows. Yeah. Plus our like regular stuff. And so I just think that that like makes it a lot higher. And someone might be listening and going, this is amazing. Like I... I'm also creative. I'm kind of on a similar path, maybe at the earliest stage. And when you get to where you are, like, how do you deal or grapple with the kind of fear of, will this be something I'm going to do forever? Will I want to do it forever? Is it something that feels stable and foundational to make so much money? Or like for some people, it's it feels fleeting. For others, they're like, no, this is a business that's going to be around for a long time. We always are like setting goals in terms of growth and in terms of like starting hopefully additional projects and things like that. So, you know, there's like always a little piece in my mind that's like, well, if this all went away, what would I do? But like also I've been fired before. Like any job could go away. Yeah. I find that ironic. And we always joke like when Ash's parents would be like nervous, like, well, what if you lose and we're both fired people we've both been fired a lot we had a hard time keeping a day job and like if anything (laughs) this is the only job she can't get fired from and I think I have had this feeling of like what if something happens we lose it and there's definitely that fear but I've realized that like it's the most diversified company in the world yeah all of our money is like by a lot of individuals paying us a small sum and so the idea that every 100% of those individuals would go away overnight feels crazy also the other thing is like if it does go away overnight it doesn't like come and like repo all of this stuff that it gave us. So like, as long as I'm saving and like living normally, like, yeah, if we make more money, I can like take myself out to nicer dinners and like buy myself new shoes and like buy jeans or whatever. But like overall, I don't like want for that much stuff. Like the apartment that I live in now, I wouldn't have been able to afford it with my old job, but it isn't so nice that I couldn't afford it with another job. Like, and I don't really want more than that, you know? Yeah. I guess my feeling is like, we built it once, we could do it again. And that's something that I've tried to think about. Like this wasn't some weird fluke. It was consistency over time. Like we never miss a week. Like we're with it. And I do think like, you know, if something were to happen and we had to start from scratch, I do think like, why wouldn't I be able to do it again? Have you ever seen that 30 Rock episode where... Jack Donaghy gets fired from his CEO position and he's like, it's fine. I'll start back in the mailroom and with what I know now. And he like is like, he starts in the mailroom and by like noon, he's been promoted to like middle <laughs> manager. And then he's just like, and I do have that sense of we'll never be starting from zero again. And we did start from zero. Yeah. So what could happen that would 
push us below where we started and keep us down. That's really helpful. That's like a really good mindset because you're right. You'd never start from zero. Sometimes we have that fear where we're like, what if it all went away? And you have to remind yourself, well, there's so much that you've built off the back of it. Yeah. And yeah. It's interesting. Like yeah. the things you've learned, like the knowledge you've gained about like how to create and like do these, like share these things. And like you guys do a lot of courses, like creating and selling those courses, like just the knowledge mm-hmm. of those are, is there. And then also like you have the following and you have the skill set, like it just won't ever be zero again. And then it doesn't like take away the money you've already earned. And I also do feel we get this question from people who want to pursue something creative and they're like, I'm a bartender and I'm nervous about giving it all up. And I'm always like, okay, so you go try and what happens? You go back to being a bartender, you end up right where you were. Like I could always go back to being an admin if I needed to. And it's like the worst that you could say is you didn't end up like you ended up back where you were. I'm like, I could always... also when people say like, go back where I'm like, what do you mean leave all of this? Like, that's actually one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give to people who are like starting out and doing, I guess, like because of the, you know, importance of social media and the internet, I think people put like a lot of time and money, like they'll pay people to make clips and like pay people to do things that they think they need in order to grow a podcast. And the most important thing you can do is like, consistency and like doing something that you like talking about and like creating because you don't want to get bored of what you're doing. But I do feel like people will like create these things that they think they have to do. And like, I have a friend who's making $0 off a podcast, but paying $600 a month for studio space. And I'm like, what about your living room? Yeah. Why don't you have a living room? I do think that's the thing that has served us most is bootstrapping. Yeah. And not one thing that about us is we will never like we've never used credit for this podcast. We got a studio when we consistently were making over the amount of money that we needed to make a studio. We hired an editor when we were like beyond the so like when we salary ourselves, we salary ourselves off of like a little bit under the average Patreon money that we can assume we'll make for the year. So whatever we are making in December, we'll subtract a little bit and divide that in two and then assume that our podcast ads will pay we really underpay for everything and like leave it all in profit and then at the end of the year we can divvy it up or whatever and maybe that's a bad thing maybe we'll never bet on ourselves but that's worked out but for I us think, I think we are betting on ourselves yeah. it's not like we're like leaving ourselves in a lurch no, like, but I do, where's it gonna go <laughs> I, I remember giving that advice to young comedians of I went and got that waitressing job because I was like, well, I need the flexibility because what if Hollywood calls tomorrow and I can't get on a plane because I have a day job? You know how long it took for Hollywood to call me? I'm still waiting. It's been 10 <laughs> years. Nobody like nobody's yeah. calling me anywhere. And I think build it first. Build it first. Build it first before you like go all in. And whenever people call me, they're like, I want to start stand up. but I don't know what to do. And I'm like, what to do? They're like, I have this job. And I go, OK, well, go to one open mic. That'll be you're on stage for three minutes once. Mm -hmm. See if you like that. Start going once a week. It's at night. You can keep your day job and go at night. Like you're so (laughs) far away. Like I think the problem people make is pushing themselves over the brink and making like intense decisions when there is no like need to. I see men do this a lot. We always make fun of the men who are like, oh, I'm so broke because I'm a dog walker. I make $100 a week. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, and what are you doing with your other 23 hours a day? Like, you're not using those hours to do stand up. And that's something that, like, if I had full time to do stand up or whatever, right when I started, I wouldn't have even known what to do with it because I didn't have the discipline or like the confidence to be coming. Like, it took me a while to get to a point where I even needed to be free during the day. Yeah. But also, like, what I was talking about with people like paying for things that they don't need to be paying for, like not having a job when they like have plenty of time to have a job, like when they're spending money on production that they're not like earning back in any way. I feel like they put so much pressure on themselves and they think that like the only version of creating something is like at a level where you have like the video element and the clips and the this and the that. And it is like that isn't true. Like start with what you know how to do and what you have the capability to make and like build. Like the thing doesn't have to exist in its final form the day you start it and it's not worth starting unless it can be the biggest thing. Like you can just start making shit with what you have and like film on your iPhone and like do like we what? recently worked with a giant corporation that I will not name, but it is one of the big 10 corporations in the world. And we, we all know earned it. less than zero dollars. Yeah, we, they paid we us, also spent our time. <laughs> we, we were paid zero dollars to do it, but they spent, I would say, upwards of $100,000 on that TikTok. Would you say? It was they spent so- $100 in a day of our time building out a TikTok for their new TikTok channel. 
And they didn't even give us food. It got under 10,000 views. And we said, if you had just given us a hundred bucks on an iPhone, we could have gone viral for you. And it really just goes to show that, especially in this day and age with the, with online and the apps and stuff, you can start like gritty. And also like, look at the chicken. Do you know Amelia? I don't even know how to pronounce her last name, but the chicken shop date girl. Mm -hmm. I was just looking up the other day because I was curious. Her first ever episode of that show was nine years ago. Yeah. People think it's an overnight success. It takes 10 years to be an overnight success. And it's better to start with what you have and do something small because you're going to make mistakes. This is the lesson of our web series, our $5,000 web series. We put all of our money. We said we have to pull all our money and all our time and all our resources to do something big and at the best version. And then we can like pitch it to TV networks. The amount of mistakes that we made. That like would have been fixed if we had even. Because we we filmed five episodes in like three weekends. (gasps) Oh. Before we even had time to edit. And then we got to the editing board. And there were obvious mistakes that could have been. If we had even just. If we had done one episode at a time. Started like. If we had done with sketches. Like start small because you're going to have to iron things out. So this idea that. Also I think people get very precious about their ideas. They're like well this is like the one great idea. If we had started with Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Which I do think is our best idea to date. If we had started with it first. It would still not have been what it. Right. Because we did spend like four other years learning podcasting. Like we learned how to have conversations with each other into microphones. Good. We at that time did not have the maturity or the time commitment or like the technology to edit our podcast, which I think is a huge part of why we're successful now. Like we would have just like had this idea, put it out into the world and it would have flopped. It also coincidentally coincided with TikTok, which was very lucky. But I do think like if you're throwing things at the wall for enough years, eventually you'll get better at it and then you'll get lucky. Joan Rivers has this quote that's like, it doesn't get better. You do. Or like, no, she says everyone who's been around long enough gets an opportunity. It's, are you ready for it when it comes? One of the final questions that a lot of our community members want to ask is when it comes to the journey that you've had, what has been like the best money decision and the best business decision that you've both individually made? Individually, like with the business or with personally? A personal one and a business one. I'll be honest. I think as we've made more money, my decisions have gotten worse. (laughs) I do think the last two years, I gave myself a lot of leeway to like spend the money that I never spent because I had been so careful for so many years. I think the best decision I ever made was all of the saving I did was like, I think was getting the full-time job. And and I had like pushback. I remember not to throw under the bus, but my mom was like, why would you get a full-time job? I thought you were serious about your comedy, blah, blah, blah. Because she's an artist and that's not the path she had taken. But I knew that the structure and having more money would actually be more freedom for me. And I also knew that I was going to be, I said, this is gonna be a long-term journey getting to like a fully finance comedian. And I need to find a job that I can live off of for the next decade. And that is what ended up happening. It took about a decade. And I think like that decision to do a higher paying job, even if it seemed like I ended up with less hours, but it meant I could leave at six every day, not care about it. I got great vacation and then saving and having that specific goal in mind of if everything hit the fan at 30, I could live off this money. That's not exactly how it panned off. But I think at that point, I do think part of what brought us from not profitable to profitable in that year of growth was that I had so much free time that I could edit the pod and I think that that was one of the small little things that helped us over the edge. Ashley, I will say, I think so much of our success has come from Ashley's consistency. I'm very obsessed with like a date and a time and hitting every week. Like yeah, even she, when we were... She has made us put out a podcast every week since we started podcasting like seven years ago. Yeah. And that's all we her. We had like two months where we weren't podcasting between podcasts. Mm-hmm. But like when we went from our Britney Spears podcast to our new podcast, like the We're in a Fight podcast, I think there was like a one week downtime there. I think we, we've been putting podcasts out like every Sunday or Tuesday for a long time. And I, that is Ashley. And I think like, I don't know if that's like a money decision, but as a business, that consistency, I think I'm somebody who's more likely to be like, we have to abandon... We have to pivot. This isn't working. We have to think bigger, which I think also like does come into play sometimes. Sometimes it's good. <laughs> like sometimes. I feel like Ashley would be like, no, we got to just keep doing who's with tabs. We've been at it already. But like, I feel like it takes us both because I'm also like, a, this isn't working. Let's like pivot. And I, you can't pivot so many times that you never build. You need an ideas person and you need an executor. And it sounds yeah, like I you like two she's are. so good. At, and like when you, when that thing with the chicken sh- date shop, you go, oh, she's been doing it every week for nine years. That's why she's successful. Not because one time she had a great idea. And it's not because she was born being a great interviewer yeah. and being funny. And I think Ashley yeah. being like, no, we have to always be consistent. 
I think something that our listeners like about us is that like there's a fucking episode coming out. Hell or high water. And when we aren't doing an episode, we give like five weeks notice. We take like two or three weeks off a year and we're like, this is the date that you won't have an episode. And we always do a Patreon. So there's always like, yeah, <laughs> there's something. That's awesome. And how about for yourself? Ashley, what would you say has been like your best business decision and like personal financial decision? I think that personally, I I would say for both of us, I think we're both really good at not living beyond our means. I think that like in New York, it's very easy to get caught up in the way people are living and to like, honestly misinterpret the way people are posting on social media and things like that. People think that it's like normal to go out and have like an extremely expensive meal, like twice a week. No, That's an insane thing to do. And so I think like living with roommates in like a normal apartment in Brooklyn, And then like spending, like as my income increases, like it sounds so simple, but I think a lot of people don't do it. And I think there's a lot of like social pressure from the internet to overspend. I'm right back. Like that's what I say. like right now, post wedding, I'm in this phase of like reminding myself that just because you want something doesn't mean you can have it. And yeah. even if like, you know, like at the end of the day, I, I really need a couple new t-shirts. I could technically afford to get it. I but think it's you just could. this like reminder that I'm like, okay, but you also do have t-shirts. So just like, and just to like, kind of like reset that muscle of not just like indulging at every whim. Cause I think definitely going into a wedding, there's a sense of like, well, it's my only one. And I'm like, fuck. And then you lose sense of numbers and you're like, well, what's another hundred dollars? I'm already spending so much money. And it's like, no, you have to remember just wanting it is not enough. Yeah. Even being able to have it is not enough. You can just not have stuff that you want. That's fine. I try to like be really because I hate clutter. So I feel like it helps me like not overdo. And I do have a tendency to like sometimes like buy random shit that I don't need. But then I'm like, okay, then what can I sell on Depop? Because you can't just (laughs) like you can't have stuff if there's nowhere to put it. And then for the business, the best financial decision. I do think our bootstrapping. Yeah. I actually am. Like when you were talking about that other guy who's spending all this money that he doesn't even have, I am really proud of us saying we will learn. I will get on YouTube and I will learn how to edit a podcast. I will learn how to do our social. I will learn how to like do our own shows. I mean, as a stand-up, I would throw these shows in the venue and be like, okay, you have to run the light board and you have to run the audio. And, you know, I would be making the posters in Adobe and then I would be sending them out and doing all the PR. Like just being scrappy and like doing it all yourself. I just watched Real Housewives in New York last night and Jenna Lyons is like packing her own boxes. Do it yourself. Just do it yourself. And yeah, like a friend of mine, the this same friend, he was like, well, how would we do it without a producer? Like we need to have, like he like, hires studio time in a studio where they have a full-time producer and he's like how would we even do it without a producer and I'm like what do you mean (laughs) like I literally don't even know how to answer that for you right now Ashley was our producer for years I still mostly am yeah (laughs) and I don't always do a good job but you're consistent I in fact a lot of times money on it yeah I mean especially money that we like like now I think if we wanted to hire a producer it like is something that we could swing yeah like if you wanted less work and more free time I mean even we're about to film a new series and we brought on my friend as a producer and she was like okay you're gonna spend thousands of dollars in equipment and we went no no we have a camera we'll borrow another camera and if we need a third camera we'll use an iPhone because this is going on YouTube it's the first iteration and it not like yeah we you just like how can you do it cheap and you of course want it to like be good enough for people to be able to watch of it course. but like I don't know the amount of money that people spend on like wanting something to feel like a Wes Anderson film when they like don't even have enough money to pay their own rent I'm like you have to like it's one thing to bet on yourself it's another thing to like make honestly not good choices <laughs> honestly it's the one thing we've learned from all our business memoirs is the amount of women-led be- businesses that are fucked over by venture capital because they go in and get overvalued and they're handed too much money and they can't keep up Sophia yeah Sophia. but I feel like that happens to so many people where you like are did that happen to the outdoor voices lady and I, yeah. okay not to name names but I know somebody who just spent 150k on a web series and I just thought did that not stress you out to be on the hook for that much money it was not us but like do you mean something that I'm like I don't know I don't ever want to be on the hook for more than I could deliver yeah I just like wouldn't be able to handle the stress of it and also I know that we've made mistakes but I'm like what could you possibly spend 150,000 dollars on <laughs> I don't know like it keeps us more honest about what's important <laughs> yeah. to the point I absolutely love it I think I could actually take something away from that because I think the lo- lo- longer we do something and I think it's almost like peer pressure if you see other businesses mm-hmm. spending that kind of money and you're like maybe I should too yeah maybe we should upgrade it's like business lifestyle creep. I will say there's like a big 
I feel like it was an LA mentality. When I lived in LA, I felt not very creative and I felt like I wasn't like moving towards my goals because people think that you have to pitch something and then wait for a green light from someone else. And then like that way you have the funding to create something at a higher caliber and this and that. And I feel like it's crept into New York a lot. Like a lot of people I know do that where they're like, oh, I have this idea. So I'm pitching it to production companies like podcast producers and like different places. And I'm just like, there's absolutely no fucking reason that you can't do something of that caliber yourself. Like this web series that we were talking about very easy. Like it looked incredible, but for $150,000 for like overall, like 14 minutes of content, like it really fucking should look good. And I'm like, I don't know. I just think that like waiting for someone to fund something for you, especially when it's an early project, just try it. Just like try Cause you're not going to be that good at stuff yet you know that's amazing but i know with the teams i think like building out a team but then you meet these companies and you must deal with them all the time because you're dealing with these huge financial institutions where you go out oh, the bloat in this company is insane yeah. like have you ever had a like an hour-long meeting with somebody and you're like what well, this was your job to have the most meaning like oh we my have God. meetings Speaking with teams of that that company that came in and like didn't pay us and did a huge thing for us we had like 15 meetings with them where they'd be like <gasps> just talking about general ideas and be like, what are you they, to do a TikTok? We did like five or six, 10 person Zooms to have a TikTok. And I thought, and they this kept is wanting- stuff teenagers do in their bedroom in an afternoon. Why is it taking an entire team to do this? Yeah. It was like a huge corporation. And we like, finally we started like kind of refusing to meet with them. Cause when we realized we weren't getting paid for this, we were like, okay, this is actually taking up an insane amount of our time. And they like tricked us into a final meeting. And I just do think it goes like PR is something that we struggle, go back and forth. Should we hire a PR person? And you look at anybody successful and you go, well, they've got the PR. And, and in theory, PR helps you bring more attention back and that'll pay for itself. But then you, but want, you have like, all your social media, like that's your PR. And yeah, yeah we've been on the Esquire list. We've been on the Vogue list. I don't know that this person reaching out on our behalf is going to make somebody love us. All we can do is be better and let people find us organically. And I think that that method has taken us a lot further than paying six to 10K a month for somebody to, to call up a magazine and say, are you interested? No. And we get PR emails all the time from people where I go, we'll get somebody that's like, hi, my client just wrote a memoir about their time saving elephants. She would love to come on and discuss it with you. Let me know. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea what our podcast is about. That would not fit at all. We do not even have guests like that. And the fact that you're, she's paying you to send us this email, I almost want to call her and be like, they just <laughs> Get a new PR they literally Googled the word book club podcast and are just sending indiscriminate emails for thousands of dollars. You're better off like calling your friends. <laughs> and, and the other thing is I do feel like I am more likely to talk to someone who like is scrappy and interesting and like sends us a rant. Like, I don't know. We like respond to most of the emails we get unless they seem like so impersonal and like yeah. there's no reason for us to even answer them. Cause I'm like, who even sent this? And like one time there was an email from a PR person on behalf of someone that I know personally not well, but like we are like acquaintances. We have each other's numbers. Like they could have messaged you. We've gotten coffee before. So I'm like, if she had asked me to come on, I think we would have found something, but getting this like impersonal PR email, I was like, Oh no. So we just DM each other. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we, you, you were like, you want to get coffee? And we're like, yeah, where are you? We're here. We're like, come to our house. Here's my home address. As opposed to like, there is this girl from New Zealand yes. that would like to meet you. I, I get it. And I think I like wouldn't have understood like who you were, like what you do or like why it would be. But like when you're DMing us as like a person, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, hi, I love you. Can we hang? <laughs> like, yes, we would love to. But like, yeah, I think that that's... So By I the way, I've given your book out. to so many people. Have you? And oh, I would have yeah. given it to more, but I'm always scared that like it's rude. Like there's yeah. people in my life where I'm like... You're like, you need this, but can I give it can to I you? Can I say something? I like have it on... It's not in here because it's on my shelf in my house. I was looking for it. No. It's no, it. I like... I loan it to people. I have a friend and I sat her down and I said, I don't want to be rude to you, but I need to tell you, you have a 2% mortgage. Her mortgage, is that a 2% interest rate? And I'm like... And she kept paying extra every month. And I was like, you have to stop. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to give you a book so that you can better understand. I've got her in a high yield savings account. I've got, she got one of those little investing buckets, oh, yeah. a basket. And, but it was like, what I learned from you, I'm like, listen, this is not how you do it. You got her into a fund. That is so good. Yeah. But I was like, do not be paying in, like, don't pay down quicker your 2% interest rate 2 mortgage. Is so good. I know. It was insane. It was a, it was a COVID deal. Wow. That is a good 
That's a low morgue. It's like nine, right? Yeah, yeah. it's very high. I have to say, thank you so much for being so candid today, for sharing so much information. It is so helpful. I know all of our listeners are absolutely loving this. And to be able to hear the journey, how you've changed over time, but how you've kept a lot of things similar, it's quite easy to see why you've been so successful. Oh, thank and you. Uh, just thank you for being so honest. Oh my God, thank you for having us. Thanks so much. I have absolutely loved this. Thank you. All right, I'll see you next week, guys. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Alrighty, till next time team, bye.